It's More Money with leading economist Steve Moore. Stephen Moore is with us, economist. With more than 30 years' experience as an economist and as a leading thinker of government on business, showing deep understanding of the shifts in the global economy. He's leading economist Steve Moore with More Money on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Good afternoon, folks. This is Steve Moore. This is the More Money Show on WABC Talk Radio, the number one talk radio station in these United States. Always a privilege and pleasure to be with you. By the way, we're on every Saturday afternoon from 1 to 2 p.m. So for my regular listeners, thank you so much. Uh, And for those who are newcomers, I hope you enjoy the show. We talk about the intersection of policy, politics, the economy, the stock market, and great. We have a great show lined up today. So thanks for joining. Uh, first of all, let me just start with this winter storm. And uh, I live outside of Washington, D.C., I live in Maryland. And it is absolutely so breathtakingly beautiful outside where I live. It's incredible, this winter wonderland. And I, I just love it. I, you know, I grew up in the Chicago area, so I grew up with <laughs> snow that started in November and lasted till April. Uh, but, you know, a snowstorm like this, just I find it invigorating. And I, I don't know if that snowstorm hit where you live as uh, heavily as it did where I live, where we got about eight, eight inches of snow. But we just went for a wonderful walk this morning um, through the woods and took the dog and just had a blast with the with the kids and the dog and, and uh, throwing snowballs and building snowmen. And uh, it's just glittering. It's beautiful out. So I hope, uh, I hope you all get out in the snow if you can. Uh, uh, it's cold, though. It turned really cold last night. So uh, along the East Coast, you're going to have to bundle up when you get out there. But you got to get out there because it's just, especially with the sun shining like this, it's just glistening. It's gorgeous. Um, so I want a bunch of stuff of things uh, that I want to talk about this afternoon. I want to start, if I may, uh, talking, well, reminding people, you have to sign up for the Committee to Unleash Prosperity hotline. Um, that is our flagship publication, and it's absolutely free. I'm not selling any of my, any of you or any of the listeners um, a uh, any kind of product here. I just want you to get it because I think you'll find it really, um, really fascinating stuff that comes out every morning. I write this with my great friend, John Fund and Phil Kirpin, and we've got a great group of people we talk about. It's You can read this in five minutes every morning, folks. And so just sign up, go to committee to unleash prosperity.com uh, and, uh, and sign up, send us your email. We'll email it to you five mornings a week. If you like it, we'll just keep sending it to you. If you don't like it, just unsubscribe and we'll stop sending it to you. Um, but I think you'll like it. I always say, if you want to be the smartest person in the room, get the hotline. Now, the reason I mention that is because our Committee to Unleash Prosperity has a new study that just came out um, on Friday, uh, yesterday. And it, I think you'll find it pretty amazing. I was shocked by the results. What we did was we surveyed uh, you know, 1,500 normal everyday Americans, like most of you listening to this show. And then we, we uh, compared that with a special sample of 1,500 of what we call America's cultural elite. And these are people who have postgraduate degrees. These are people who mostly, almost all of them, um, went to Ivy League schools or some of the you know elite schools in America. They are people who live in urban areas like New York City or like Chicago or like Silicon Valley or like Washington, D.C. And they're people who have a high income. 
And so these are very highly overly educated people. Uh, and what we did was compare how this cultural elite view the world versus um, normal, everyday, Main Street Americans. And I got to tell you, these results were absolutely shocking. It's almost like the cultural elite of this country, uh, the, many of whom are in the talking professions. They're either journalists or lawyers or lobbyists or politicians. Um, they see the world completely differently than most Americans do. So let me give you some examples of what we found. And I think I think you're going to be it, – it really it, – it really, amazed me how out of touch this one group of elite people are versus real America. So the first question we asked was, do you think, I'm just calling this up on my computer screen, so I want to make sure I have the exact numbers right. Um, are you better off today or worse off? Uh, are, you know, in other words, are your, are your finances getting better or worse? Now, for Everyday Americans, uh, the percentage of people who say that they're better off today is 20%, 20%, only one in five. But when you look at these elites, 75% are better off. And then we did a special survey of just the people who were graduates from uh, the Ivy League schools, and 88% say they're better off. So that explains a lot, right? That it, the the media keeps saying, "Why aren't people? Why are people unhappy? Everything's going so well." Yeah, well, if you're in the top one percent, you know things are going really well, and not so much for people in the middle class who are really struggling because of Biden inflation. Now, look, the inflation rate has come down. That's a great thing, but we've you know prices are twenty percent higher today on average than they were when Biden came into office, and that's a that's a continuing burden and strain on American families. And I know that most of you listening to the show agree with me on this because when I take calls, and I will take some calls later on in the show, by the way, because I want your all reaction to this uh, this study. And so I'm going to give you the um, WABC uh, More Money Hotline, 1-800-848-9222, because I, do, I will take a few of your calls because I want your reaction to this, if you agree, agree or disagree, and, and what you make of these findings. But let me give you an, another one. I mean, these are just incredible. So then the, we asked um, about climate change, and do you think we should ration, ration the amount of meat and uh, gas and electricity that people use? Now, 77% of, um, I'm sorry, let's see, I'm just rating this, 28% of voters say that we should, which is abysmal. I can't believe one in four Americans say that we should ration electricity and ration food. That's a high number, 28%. But among these elites... 77% 77% say we should ration food and electricity. That means, folks, that they can turn off or on your thermostat. That means they can turn your lights on and off. That means they can tell you what you can buy at the grocery store. Ridiculous. And by the way, 89% of elites say, yes, we should ration gas, electricity, and meat. Uh, uh, stunning. Okay, how about this one? Uh, do you think there is too much or too little uh, freedom in America today, too much or too little freedom. In other words, do you think uh, Americans are too free or not free enough? Um, people who are in this elite class, the va- the majority of them uh, say that, or not, not the majority of them, half of elites say that there is too much freedom in America. 
too much freedom. I thought the whole the whole idea of America was to have freedom, and they think people are too free. By the way, only about one in five all Americans believe that to be true. Um, how about this one? How how do you th- do you think we should um, ban gas stoves? Gas stoves. Do you think they should be banned by the government? One in four Americans say yes, but. 60% of these elites say yes, and about 75% of the, the um, people who went to Ivy League schools do. Uh, <laughs> this is a really amazing one. Do you think we should ban um, airline travel that is non-essential? You know, so like taking an airline, you know, a, a trip on a plane, you know, for a vacation to go to Disney World with your kids. Uh, <laughs> almost uh, over half of these elites say yes, we should ban Air, tra- <coughs> air travel that's not essential. That, I mean, very few normal uh, Americans think that's true. Uh, then finally, how do you think Biden is doing? How do, do you think Biden is doing a good job as president or not? The polls have sh- consistently shown, uh, the po- Biden's numbers have jumped up a little bit, but not not a lot. They've they've crept up, I shouldn't have said, lep- jumped up. So right according to the latest polls, uh, 44% of voters uh, approve of the jo- job that uh, uh, that uh, Trump is doing. 84% of these elites do. I mean, I could go on and on, but this is so incredible. Oh, here's another one. I mean, it, again, what this is showing you is that these elites, the opinion makers, the people who run our government, the people who are writing for the New York Times, the people who are the professors at the universities, they are, it's, as I said, it's almost like they're living in a different country. So uh, the question is, who should control the schools, our public schools in America? Who should have the most influence over over their curriculum and what's being taught? And the question was, should it be parents of the kids or should it be uh, the teachers' unions? And um, the vast majority of Americans say, yeah, the parents should be the ones who are making these decisions about you know the curriculum and what's being taught in the schools, the parents, because they're after all, the kids are the, <laughs> they're their kids, right? Uh, but when you ask the elite, Sixty-seven percent, two out of three, say no. Not not parents. The education blob should be, you know, uh, running the schools. Well, guess what? They have been running the schools for the last thirty years, and look at the results we're getting. We spend more and more money, and the re- test results get worse and worse and worse in our public schools. And yet, the left elitists are fine with that. By the way, I would bet, and this is just supposition on my part. I don't have the um, the proof of this, but I would bet that most of these people who are in this elite top 1% don't send their kids to private schools. <laughs> they, I mean, to public schools. They send their kids to the elite schools, and so they're out of it. And so, But they're very willing to tell other people how their kids should be taught. And I just think that this is a disgrace. Now, what, what is the purpose of this? What am I getting at? I'm getting at the fact that the the main supporters of Joe Biden and the Democratic left wing agenda are these elites who do who do not. Th- these are people who thumb their nose at ordinary Americans like you and me. They they think that they are these elites think that they are morally and cult and culturally superior to the rest of America. And you know what? They're not. They're not superior to us. Uh, They don't get America. And I want people to understand that the people who are the 
quote, influencers, again, the professors, the people on the, in the news media, the people you know, who run Wall Street, the people who run Hollywood, they are, they are um, out of touch with America. They are arrogant and they have contempt for most of us. So we should be aware of that. And when you're watching a news broadcast or when you're listening to a professor talk, now you know why our kids are being indoctrinated with these ideas that are so foreign to the whole concept of America, which is freedom. Remember, a majority of these elites that there's too much freedom in America. So uh, I, I urge you all to look at this and I want your reaction to this. I'm going to take a few calls in a little while. Um, uh, that, that number for the More Money Hotline is 1-800-848-9222. I want your reaction to this and what, what you think. I'm, I'm so honored, by the way, I just learned that Jordan Peterson, you know, one of the most famous people in America, one of the best psychologists in America, just tweeted this out. And he said, this explains everything. This explains the Biden phenomenon and the elitism of, uh, of these liberals and progressives who think they can run our lives better than we can run our lives for ourselves. So a big story there. Um, I just got a, one or two more minutes before we take a break. I want to make one other quick point, if I may. I think that this was a great, great week for Donald Trump. I think, and most of you know, I've worked with Trump and, and, and uh, I have a great admiration for him, although I understand, you know, a lot of people don't like his behavior sometimes or the antics, and, and sometimes I don't either. But a great week for him. He gave great speech. He won big in Iowa by 30 points. He is going to be the Republican nominee, folks, unless, you know, something God strikes him down or something like that. He is going to be the Republican nominee. And I love this new Donald Trump. He's optimistic. He's not grousing all the time. Uh, he's talking about the future. He's talking about the issues that America cares about. He, he, he's talking about getting control of the border, restoring American energy dominance, getting tough with China, better trade deals, bringing jobs back to the United States, uh, reinstating a kind of new pot, uh, patriotism and love of country that we need in America. So I'm here to tell you, I think that, uh, you know, I was doubtful about, not doubtful, but I had some skepticism about that Trump a few months ago because he lost the election in 2020. But boy, I just think he's at his best right now. And if he can continue this path of talking optimistically and solutions to our problems, I think he will be reelected president for four years. And, and then, of course, you know, we'll have a big election in 2028. Now, Biden had a good week, too, because the economy is getting better. But I still think there's a lot of skepticism. I mean, is there anybody who really wants Joe Biden to be the next president of the United States? I mean, you may hate Trump. And, and the only case for, uh, for Biden is that he's not Trump. But there's nobody who really actually thinks that this man could possibly uh, direct and lead our country for four more years. He probably needs to be in a nursing home, not uh, in the Oval Office. So that's my uh, message for today. We're going to take a quick break. Then we're going to talk about the financial situation that's going on with my good friend, Judy Shelton. So we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. And after Judy Shelton, by the way, I will be taking your calls. 1-800-848-9222. This is the More Money Hotline. 1-800-848-9222. What do you think about the new Donald Trump? I like it. We'll be right back.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's more money with leading economist Steve Moore. Stephen Moore is with us, economist. With more than 30 years experience as an economist and as a leading thinker of government on business, showing deep understanding of the shifts in the global economy. He's leading economist Steve Moore with more money on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore. Welcome back, folks. This is Steve Moore. This is the More Money show on WABC. And now I'm really thrilled to bring on someone who's been on the show several times in the past. And this is a woman who should be the the next chairwoman of the Federal Reserve Board. She's one of the smartest people in the country, in the world on monetary policy and how we can avoid inflation, how we can grow the economy. Judy is a um, uh, is a uh, fellow at the Independent Institute. She also does some work with us at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. She's on our board of advisors. Judy, thanks so much for joining. Oh, I'm so pleased to be with you, Steve. And uh, I was just fascinated. I'd read about your study and saw those results, but to hear you just now talk about them uh, really, really clarifies the mood <laughs> of the country, I think. Doesn't yeah, it? That was just yeah. a brilliant study. I definitely identify with the everyday American. <laughs> there you go. I I think uh, you're you're so right. And I think most of our listeners are ordinary everyday Americans. Thanks for bringing that up, Judy, and, and appreciate it. By the way, Scott Rasmussen, who's the great pollster, is the one who did that study with us. I'm going to try to get him on the show next week. But I wanted to talk to you about, um, well, let's talk about the booming t- this booming stock market. Um, we do have inflation, you know, down substantially from that 9.1%, you know, we had in the summer of 2022. Do, you know, what is your, what do you make of all this? Is, uh, is Jerome Powell doing the right thing? And what should we be doing with our monetary policy in this year to come? Well, I was never one who thought that we had to have a recession. Uh, you and I both yeah. know, and, and especially we saw it was confirmed during the Trump administration, that low unemployment is not inherently inflationary. People working, uh, that's yes. a good thing. They're increasing supply and getting paid. Yes. And when we had that record unemployment um, that started happening right after the pro-growth program of lower taxes and Mm -hmm. uh, fewer regulations and Mm -hmm. unleashing energy development came into play, we saw that we had um, more people working and people who hadn't really been able to participate before. So it was just a beautiful thing. But By the way, I just hold on. I just want to I want to amplify this because it's the point you're making is so critically important, which is there's something called the Phillips curve, which says, you know, if you want to bring inflation down, you have to have more unemployed people. And if you want to bring unemployment down, you have to inflate the currency. And a lot of economists, even at the Fed, still believe that, Judy. And what you're saying is, you know, what Art Laffer and Larry Kudlow and Steve Forbes and so many brilliant economists like yourself have been saying, 
you're saying that, that, that in fact, it never even made any sense to me <laughs> how, why it is that you want to raise unemployment to bring in, you know, in, inflation down. So you're saying that's just simply not true. It's, it's simply not true. And what we're seeing is that the Fed uh, wanted to preemptively start raising interest rates mm-hmm. because of that Phillips curve trade-off. Right. They thought, right. well, if we have low unemployment, that means high inflation is on the way. And they hadn't really raised rates hardly at all since 2008. Mm-hmm. They went up mm-hmm. uh, 25 basis points in December 2015, another 25 basis points a year later in December 2016. But right after President Trump came into office in 2017, sure enough, the Fed raised three times under yep. Janet Yellen. And then yes. in February 2018, Jerome Powell came in. They raised another four times. And President Trump, he was he admits he was jawbone. Yeah. He said, yeah. why are you unnecessarily yeah. cutting off growth yes. when we have people working, right. we're getting right. productive economic growth, low unemployment, and you you are below your 2% inflation target. By the way, I well, remember okay. so vividly, uh, yeah, you're, you're bringing up a really good historical point because I remember you know, being in the Oval Office with Donald Trump. I think, I forget whether it was December of 2017 or 2018. I remember right before Christmas, the stock market was just crashing because the Fed was just sucking the, yes. yeah, it was just sucking the oxygen out of the economy and Trump was livid you know he said what the hell are they doing you know and and as soon as they finally stopped you know taking the oxygen out of the economy then we had that big boom from the tax cuts and the deregulation so you're you're making a really important point about a critical mistake that the fed made well what's so interesting what to me is because president trump was straightforward about it i mean he does know something about business development. He understands interest rates. He understands the hospitality business. So he really understands how monetary policy affects the economy. And he was saying, what what are you doing when we don't see inflation? They were below 2%. And and by July of 2019, people on the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve were agreeing with President Trump. And then the concern came up, oh, we, the Fed didn't want to look as if it were caving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nevertheless, yeah. they ended I remember up that. taking back. They took yes. back three of those last four in yes. three consecutive meetings, July, September, and yep. October. Yep. They and, each and time you're right. And by the way, the important down. point you're making, sorry to interrupt because this is such an important point, Trump was right. You know, they were saying, oh, he's just being political and blah, blah, blah. Well, maybe he was being political, but his advice was exactly right, that that we were way too tight and it was restraining the growth of the economy, it was hurting American workers. And, um, you know, you're so right. Trump has a kind of, he's not an economist. He's just a businessman, but he has an instinctive understanding of what you're saying. Well, he he was totally vindicated by the yeah. scholars <laughs> uh, at the Fed, and um, it really was hurting manufacturing. Yes, it and, was, and and so it was it was very important to um, to get it right, and and the Fed then I think to cover itself to show that it wasn't just pressured by the White House launched an official study. And they released the results of that study. They changed their monetary framework. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Their timing was terrible because then COVID hit in March 2020. But in August 2020, they said, here's the new framework. We now see we made a mistake by prematurely raising rates. Mm-hmm. So now we're even going to tolerate higher than our target rate, higher than yes. 2% for some time. That's as accurate as the Fed gets in its forward guidance, yes. somewhat higher for some time. But the point being, we're not going to rush into it because we don't really know what what maximum employment means. We jump mm-hmm. the gun. So let's wait and see. And unless we get inflation, well, we got inflation all right. <laughs> right. I think it had, it had 9%. a lot more to do. It was those fiscal transfers. It yes. was the By the way, Judy, you know, the, uh, the, if you go back to uh, like mid-2021 um, uh, or so when, um, when Biden started his massive spending spree, there were something like 12 Nobel Prize economists who said, don't worry, Biden's policies won't cause inflation. And they wrote well, they this in the wrong. New York Times. Remember that? <laughs> yes. It, I mean, what do they say now? It, <laughs> I, it, it, well, I think they should send back their PhDs and say, we don't know what we're talking about. But uh, okay, so I, I wanna, I'm sorry to rush you, but because there's so much I want to ask you about. So here we are right now in January of 2020, um, you know, uh, 2024, and we have an economy that's, that's, picked up, no question about it. Inflation looks like it's moderating for sure. What if you were the Fed chair chairman, what what would you advise the Fed to be doing? Most people on Wall Street think that they're going to be cutting rates, should they? Well, here's here's the problem because of who the Fed chairman is. Mm-hmm. If I if I had been Fed chairman, I would have stopped increasing the interest rate at about four and a half. Yes, I agree. The real interest rate should be about two to three. Right. So say two and a half. And I think the the target rate should probably be zero. That that was a legislative target originally. But but let's accept the two percent. Then four and a half would be I, I don't like zero rates, but four and a half is about right. Not necessarily restrictive. I'm trying to get it as close to what the market determined rate would yes. be as possible. So, sorry, so when you say four and a half percent, are you? Do you mean the uh, the uh, Fed? Feds, they call um, it the Fed funds rate. target. The Fed funds rate. Really okay, means, right. Yeah, right. it's it's they okay. now call it their their policy target interest Got rate. It. Got it. It is and it reflects what they pay banks not to make loans. <laughs> yes. They they pay banks on their cash and then they pay yeah, yeah. money market mutual funds. But that's how yeah. they it, it, there's a floor and ceiling approach. But what we call that midpoint would be their target rate, and that's where I think they should have should have stopped. That would be the benchmark. But instead, Powell came out so strong saying we've abandoned all that talk about forgetting the Phillips curve. We're now back mm-hmm. to where we're willing to impose pain. And until we see 2%, we are going to be dogged. So now you have a situation where you have fiscally running a stimulus program of mm-hmm. massive, massive deficit right. spending. And the Fed has this attitude of monetary rectitude. If they cut, right. unfortunately, if they cut, even if it were for the right reasons because it's too restrictive and they're slowly squeezing out the private sector, it will look as if they've compromised their earlier statement. And in fact, I would invoke the old Trump reasoning, but but the difference is they are still over the 2% now. They weren't when Trump was saying it. 
Mm-hmm. So now they That's... are closer to three or above. And so now it will look, they will lose credibility. That's the yeah. problem because they were working with the wrong model. They should have used so, the growth yeah. model. I, I couldn't agree more. Now, a couple uh, other questions. Number one, uh, I, I believe that, you know, when you look at Alan Greenspan and Paul Volcker, who were, I think, exceptionally strong, uh, you know, a Fed chairman and really helped break the back of the inflation of the 70s and early 80s, that one of the things that they did that I thought was was a really positive thing was kind of using the Fed uh, bully pulpit to tell Congress to stop spending and borrowing so much money. <laughs> you know, and Greenspan would do that almost every speech he gave, and 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 so did Volcker, because, you know, when you're running these massive deficits and, and, and government is crowding out private sector spending, that's that hurts the economy. I have not heard Jerome Powell say anything about that. I mean, here we got a president that last year we borrowed almost $2 trillion in an economic recovery. And to me, that's the greatest poison in our economy right now is these massive government spending bills and the amount of money that the government is borrowing. But the Fed has said nothing about that. I think you're absolutely right. And yes, both Greenspan and Volcker, even as Volcker said immediately after Ronald Reagan came in, also with a pro-growth supply side Mm -hmm. program, Volcker conceded that we have to have incentives for people to save and invest and work. So he agreed with with that part of the Reagan program, but Reagan's fourth pillar was stable money. And Volcker said – we're only going to get that if we have cuts in spending and get to a balanced budget as soon as possible. He absolutely said that before the Senate Banking Committee two weeks after Reagan came in while embracing the other pillars of the Reagan pro-growth program. He said you can't do that without growth. Powell will not say one word. He says we take the fiscal yep. as given. And I think that's that's right. a, I think that's a real okay. omission of duty on his part. There you go. So, Judy, that music in the background means I've got to take a break. Um, thank you so much. By the way, just on the way out, then how many you think there'll be two or three rate cut? What do you think for twenty twenty four? What what do you predict? I think they'll put it off toward June or July. June or July. And I would okay. predict July so that he can explain it all in August from the Jackson Hole meeting of central oh, bankers. Awesome. Judy, thanks so much for joining. That's Judy Shelton, the brilliant economist and the, and the woman who I think should be our next Federal Reserve Chairman. Appreciate it so much. We'll be right back, folks. This is the More Money Shop. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Welcome back, folks. This is the More Money Show on WBC Talk Radio. I am your host, Steve Moore, and now we turn to one of our most important sections of the show, which is when we talk to uh, Ryan and Bob Payne of Payne Capital Management, although a well-deserved day off. So, Bob, uh, thanks for joining. A lot to cover. So uh, I wanted to talk about the current state of the economy right now. It does seem like it's improving. Uh, We saw um, a pretty good jobs report um, a week or so ago. 
and um, people seem to be a little bit more optimistic. Uh, the market's been pretty good so far this year. What's your take? Well, you know, first of all, Steve, you're absolutely right about that. The, um, you know, the consumer sentiment readings came in very positive today, up to 78 versus 70, uh, which was expected. Uh, we had initial unemployment claims, you know, that were very good. So it confirms labor markets tight. Unemployment rate, you know, stays below 4%. We got 9 million job openings. So it, it looks like the uh, consumer's feeling pretty good about the economy. And the stock market's reflecting that strength. We're uh, closing in on an all-time record high today. And so do you see that continuing? Is this a time to take some profits or is this a time to, you know, double down on your investments? And if so, what, what sectors of the economy do you like? Well, you know, I'll tell you, we've had, uh, it's been two years, you know, since we've uh, approached this high on the S&P. So we had the, the previous high was January 3rd of 2022. Uh-huh. And here we are January 19th and January 20th. We're, you know, finally broaching that high. So I think things look very good, Steve. I think the market uh, will continue to go higher this year. It's a presidential election year. 83% of the time, we generally see an up market. And so um, when you're talking about the other big variable, of course, which is the Fed, and there is a perception that the Fed uh, is going to lower rates, although you know they really haven't shown their hand yet. Uh, I've heard some economists say maybe three or four rate cuts this year. What's your expectation? You know, it's been a uh, bit all over the ballpark, right? It's anywhere from two to six, right? The, there was conventional thinking that it was going to be six for a while, and then the futures market was telling us there would be three, a hundred percent guaranteed by June. But you know, if I'm Jerome Powell right now, I'm thinking. Why mess with success, right? I mean, there's the economy strong, so there's really no reason to hike interest rates, but there's also no reason to rush into cutting interest rates. So I think it's data dependent. Uh-huh. Fed's always yeah. been a lagging indicator. So I don't think it really matters as much uh, what the Federal Reserve is going to do because the economy and the stock market went up the whole time they were raising rates over the last year. In, the, in uh, 2023, the year just ended, uh, the market was really pretty much driven by those seven. Uh, I think we we talked about this before. The magnificent seven of you know Apple and Amazon and uh, you know obviously um, Microsoft and companies like that. But do you see a kind of broader rally this year? Uh, and and is it make sense to continue to invest in the magnificent seven, or do people uh, look to other industries and other sectors? Yeah, I think that was the uh, the big thinking last year was, you know, the only stocks that went up were these seven magnificent technology stocks. Well, they went up a lot. And the large growth segment of, of the mark of the S&P was up almost 46% last year. I had a client the other day, he was all excited about that number, Steve. Then I reminded him it was down 33% the year before. So right. it kind of averages out over time. Yeah, right. But, same you know, the with, average stock was up close market, to 8 right? to 9% last year. Yeah, yeah. So um, how about, um, you know, the uh, the overseas markets? Um, should people be broadening their portfolios to include some of these uh, European or uh, emerging markets um, companies? Yeah, I think when you look at valuation, you know, first of all, in the U.S. market, I think value stocks are, are much cheaper than growth stocks and small to mid-sized companies, I think, is really is your greatest opportunity. Um, when you look internationally, you know, China has been exporting deflation. Their economies are really weak and the Eurozone's been, been weak. So, you know, Jerome Powell should count his blessings that we have a strong economy, but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that they're not good investment opportunities, right? When 
you don't get good prices with good news. So when there's bad news where their economy is struggling, you have to figure they're, they're going to do everything they can to have their economy recovering. That's where you can buy stocks of very good valuation. And you should definitely have international in your portfolio more than you've ever had in the last couple of years. So I'm talking to Bob Payne of uh, Payne Capital Management. <clears throat> just got about a minute left, uh, Bob. But it, you, you've been, uh, you and Ryan both have been pretty bullish uh, the last couple of years, and, and the market's done pretty well over that period. I'm wondering uh, if there's any particular sector in the U.S. economy that, you know, we, we were just talking about technology stocks, but what areas do you see growth in? You know, if you look at construction and manufacturing, employment has been pretty, you know, pretty level. Uh, it, but, and then we also, the other big sector that seems to be a driver of the economy, of course, is housing. What do you what do you think about those sectors? Well, coming off the worst year in existing home sales since 1995, you would think that that would be a bad sector. But I think the outlook is very bright, Steve. You have, you know, mortgage rates you got up to close to eight percent. They're now uh-huh. down to mid sixes. If you, yeah. you know, an adjustable rate, you're going to be able to go into the five percent area. So I think you're going to start seeing housing prices pick up, and the housing market, housing sales are going to pick up, which is really good for the economy because it you know broadens out across every sector. So I, I think that the, when you look at our economy, um, large company value stocks that pay good dividends or companies that have increased their dividend, you know, close to 67 years in a row, not wow. just, you know, one or two years, 67 consecutive years. Um, there's plenty of opportunity in blue chip stocks in the U.S. market. You don't have to chase the magnificent seven. So, uh, Bob, it sounds like you're sounding a lot like your son, Ryan, and be bullish. But uh, <laughs> that's been a b- good message for investors in the last uh, you know, 18 months. And it sounds like uh, you're, you continue to be bullish. Well, Steve, if you look at the earnings, right, we had an all-time record high in earnings. The best earnings this country's ever seen in the third quarter. And I think the fourth quarter is going to trump that and be even better. Uh, we had a wow. GDP you know, a GDP number that was 5.2%. Well, most economists were thinking it was going to be zero. Um, right. I think we're going to see 2.5% growth this year. And I think the big thing that's happening and the big beauty of technology, it's going to increase productivity, increase profit margins, which means earnings go up. And as I've always said, stocks are the slaves to earnings. So if earnings go up, yeah. the P and the E, you know, the PE ratio, if the E goes up, the P is going to follow. So we see, yeah, we see record earnings rise. this year. We think we're going to see record highs in the in the good old Dow and the S&P 500. Yeah, another uh, variation of that is my buddy Larry Cutlow likes to say that uh, earnings are the mother's milk of the stock market, and you guys have been so right. So, Bob, thanks for joining. I'll be right back. This is Steve Moore, and this is the More Money Show. So, Bob, Chris, and Courtney, given us the beginning of the year, what better time to review your assets and make sure you're on track to achieve all your financial goals than, well, now? So I thought we could discuss the three most important questions you really should be asking your financial professional to make sure that you've got the right financial game plan for 2024 and beyond. And I think the one question we get all the time is, can I live off my assets when I want to? Everyone wants to know they're not going to run out of money. Well, I think the answer to that is, is yes, you can. Um, You know, like if you want to start living off your assets today, yes, I guess you could, but you probably would run out of money. Um, the, the better answer is you should probably do some kind of a financial plan first. Go through what your income is, what you're saving, um, how much you put away already, and then set a target date in the future of when you think you want to live off those assets. So it's always good to make sure 
uh, that you plan it out, not just pick a date in the future or a random date in the future. I'm just hoping my brother's going to be rich and he's going to send me a check every month. But, you know, that's my plan. I've been sending checks every month. You just haven't been cashing them. <laughs> Maybe you got the wrong address. You got to get to the mailbox once in a while. <laughs> well, I think one of the things that um, actually we should do a future podcast on this. Uh, a friend of mine was asking me the other day, he said, why, why don't you discuss what an uh, entrepreneur has to go through uh, to decide to retire? Right. Because what's what's the biggest fear of uh, retiring? Running out of money. Running out of money. Yeah. So it's like, you know, one day you're, you're you're collecting that cash flow. Right. And all of a sudden you have to live off your assets. That's a big leap, you know, for a lot of folks. But I think the um, I think the most important decision that every every investor seems to make, or at least the question they have when they first come to us is, yeah, I love my job. I love my company. I love my boss. Or I, you know, I love what I do. Um, but it gets harder and harder every day because, you know, some clients and some customers aren't as nice as they used to be or some suppliers and, you know, business is tough, right? What business isn't tough? All business is tough. What if I just wanted to chuck it all tomorrow? You know, can I, do I have that big go to hell money? Do I have enough to just walk out the door? Um, I need to know, you know, before I insult my boss tomorrow at work. All right. So it's, uh, I think that's, a really big question in the minds of a lot of people, don't you guys? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we really don't talk so much about retirement at this point, more about financial independence. You made that good point, you know, that, that day that you feel, feel comfortable going to work and saying, you know what, I don't want to put up with this anymore. And there's a lot that goes into this because I have clients who always build their own spreadsheets. They come to us and say, you know, I think my money will last throughout my lifetime. Can you just confirm that this is accurate? Um, we actually have software that goes a lot more in depth because you have to factor in some things like, for example, inflation. Every year, it's going to actually cost more to live. So maybe you need, I'm just throwing out a number, $100,000 to live off of currently. You're going to be surprised how much more that is 10, 20 years from now. And you need to make sure that your money is growing with that. And there's also things like taxes. So for example, maybe you've done a really good job saving in your 401k. Every time you take money out, you're going to owe taxes on that. And you're only going to get the net amount of that. And so you need to factor in all of these different um, topics, which... We do for all of our clients. We build this and make sure we go in depth as possible. Um, and that's really just something that it's good to do at least once you're on our portfolio. We're in the new year. It's just a good reminder. Um, take a look at that and make sure that you're getting your projections updated as well. And nothing drives me crazier than those like simple calculators online. And you're right, Courtney. I think you know you and I have been in a couple of meetings where people come in where they ran the numbers and it's just so simplistic. And I think you know when I think about when we do these meetings, they're kind of intense. They're kind of like mental gymnastics. Because we're sitting there, we're asking questions about, okay, when do you want to retire? To your point, Courtney, like what kind of accounts do you have? Are they retirement accounts? Are they after-tax accounts? Um, you know, it, there's just so many different inputs that you're putting in. And it, it really, like, when I do a meeting like that, I'm actually drained at the end of the meeting <laughs> because <laughs> there's so many numbers. But it's so therapeutic to do it. Um, but I think it's so mm. important that if, you know, if you have an advisor, a professional, that you're sitting down. And you're doing that hard work up front because once you do that hard work up front and you kind of build that like baseline, then you can play with it from there. Then you can really decide what the asset allocation is from there, how you should invest your money. But until you do that first step and really get that baseline or that blueprint of where you are and what you're trying to achieve, you really can't do much. You're just putting the carpet before the horse. And that's what our industry does, right? They just love to sell you products and not take the time to do the mental gymnastics but you need to do those mental gymnastics. It's critical. Well, you know what, Ryan, you made a really good point talking about um, 
you know, those online calculators, you know, if you go on to like your, your Vanguard 401k, it says, well, you're, you're going to need this much in retirement. Well, they don't have a sense of what you make, what you spend. And, you know, frankly, most people out there don't have a sense of what they spend. I mean, it, so many times when I go in these reviews, you know, the, the, the person thinks they spend, you know, say $5,000 a month, but after we're done, you know, it turns out it's more like seven or 8,000 a month. And, you know, I always get the same comment. Well, I don't spend that every month. Well, that doesn't include vacations or going out to dinner. You know, I don't include that stuff. Well, you know, that's part of what you spend. I noticed there wasn't a tab on that uh, calculator that says inheriting all your brother's money. So for me, <laughs> that doesn't work at all. So, Well, I just changed Courtney to my primary beneficiary. So sorry, guys, you're not getting anything. Well, she's a lot nicer, let's be honest. <laughs> that, I, I don't think anybody will disagree with that. Uh, hey, guys, you know, I had that, that, that one stint in my career where I was trying to help the competition you know, to um, to increase their productivity and become more consultative in their processes. And, you know, every single time we we have a new client on board that comes from one of the major wirehouses, and you say, well, you know, wow, this is great work, guys. This is, you know, really, really feel good. I'm comfortable that the projections look great. We're saying, well, didn't the other firm run these for you? And say, well, you know, they have this kind of like compliance blenderized software, which I never trusted. And and, you know, they, they didn't seem to put a lot of effort into the planning. Um, they weren't certified financial planners. They weren't fiduciaries. And, you know, I'm sure that they ran it, but, you know, I'm not going to trust it. You know, I'm going to trust this, right? This is a process. Like, court, like you said, we have very sophisticated software, the best of the industry. And, and, you know, Chris, I've been in so many meetings with you where, you know, hey, we're going to try and make it fail. Right. We're going to make we're going to try and, and, and stress the living daylights out of this so you can sleep well at night. You know, it's almost like um, I told a friend of mine the other day and they said that the, the job of their admissions committee at their country club is to not admit anybody. So we're like, you know, we're not going to admit you into the retirement hall of fame. Um, you know, we're going to we're going to beat you up pretty good. So we want references. We want data. We want proof. Um, and I think that's the key. And it's just like there's nothing more comfortable, more comforting you know, than running those projections and saying, wow, you know, you've been following the plan for 10 years, 15 years. You cannot live your money. Way to go. You know, it's like it's a it's a mutual pat on the back. Right. You, we did a good job of planning. They did a je- good job of following instruction. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you made a, a really good point there, Dad. You know, it's kind of like when you go to get your physical, you know, they do a stress test. Right. They're trying to see where you are realistically. You know, they're yep. not trying to sugarcoat it and say, oh, you know, yeah, your cholesterol is high, but go ahead and keep eating those donuts. You know, it's like you and I did a review for a prospective client last week, and he was telling us about the review they did at his previous firm. They were using 8 to 10% for his average rate of return over his lifetime. I mean, that's just unrealistic. You know, you really got to put the put the screws to your portfolio and your financial plan and really test it if it's going to work. The other the other big issue that I see um, is, and Court, I know you can attest to this too, because you and I run a lot of proposals together, is a lot of times you just don't know what you're paying and you get sticker shock uh, when you find out what actual the actual fees are. And I know we built a spreadsheet that goes pretty in depth, but a lot of times it's the devil you don't see, not the devil you do uh, when it comes to your investments. Like a lot of the fees are embedded in the portfolio. Exactly right. Yeah. And I find that um, especially some people might do their investments on their own and they're aware that, okay, maybe I don't really want to pay an advisor. I can do this. I've been doing it great for the last 10 years. Um, but it's actually shocking because what we do with a lot of our clients is we, well, all of our clients is we actually pull out the fees that you're paying. So any fund that you ever own has an embedded cost to it. 
it's there. You know, those thick prospectuses they send you in the mail. If you want to go through those, you can see them. Um, just to make it simpler, we break it out for you. So we make it very transparent. Um, but I can't tell you how many people are currently not paying an advisor, yet they're paying higher fees than working directly with an advisor who will use lower cost products. So you're paying the same amount, if not less, at the end of the day, but you're actually paying somebody who's actively giving you advice and planning for you rather than paying for these embedded fees, which are in these funds that you own and essentially just takes away from your return over time. So pay for the planning, not for the fund. The fund that's like more expensive doesn't tend to outperform. And I think that's really good to keep in mind. And that's why it's such an amazing industry because you tend to pay more to get less service and advice and underperform. It's usually high correlation between higher <laughs> fees and less service and less performance. Um, so you got to find that middle ground to your point where you're paying a professional a reasonable amount um, to use low cost products, ideally, because we know money managers with their extra fees end up underperforming. Mm -hmm. And statistically, it's like almost 90%. You know, I'm not a gambler, but man, oh man, if my odds are like 90%, I'm going to underperform by using a manager. Why would I ever use a manager? Yet the mutual fund industry is still alive and well. It's just like blows my mind. Um, and I think just people, the inertia of money don't realize just how badly you get treated and you don't even know you're getting treated badly. Hey guys, they made a movie about the uh, wirehouse brokers and the money center bank brokers. It's called the day the earth stood still. <laughs> <You know? laughs> they, they give you one, one good meeting. They put your, your portfolio to work and then you never hear from them again. If you saved over a million dollars for your retirement, myself and Bob and our team at Payne Capital will run for you our total financial master plan and we'll do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review. We literally look at everything. There's not a firm out there that will do this work up front. We go as far as building you, your own personalized financial portal. We give you a bird's eye view of your entire financial life, and we'll hone in on every financial issue you need to address today, whether it's that income plan for retirement. How do you take Social Security? There's a lot of ways to take it, but one run right way for you. How do you draw from your portfolio the most tax-efficient way? We'll give you a full income plan, factor in inflation, so you don't run out of money. We're going to look at diversification. Markets have been all over the place, up and down. Has your portfolio been extremely volatile? Or have you been sitting in cash? Paralysis by analysis. Can't figure out what to do. We'll put together a full diversified investment game plan, show you how to grow your wealth, tie it to your goals, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. Wall Street loves to sell you high cost, tax inefficient products, whether it's an annuity, mutual fund, insurance product, brokerage product. We're going to go through every investment you have, deep dive. We're going to show you how to reduce all the internal costs and optimize your portfolio for taxes. It's now what you make. It's what you take. You'll get our full tax playbook. We literally have four slots left. If you saved over a million dollars for your retirement, all you need to do is call or text at 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. If you call or text us right now, at 844-752-6692. That's 844-PLAN-NYC, 844-PLAN-NYC. Hey, if you want to know more about myself and Bob and our firm, Pain Capital Management, simply go to bebullish.com. That's bebullish.com. Everything you hear on this broadcast and some due diligence on your own can help you to get ahead financially, literally at any stage of your journey. But if you've saved over a million dollars and you want a more hands-on approach with your financial independence plan, my son Ryan and I can create for you your own total financial master plan. All you need to do is be one of our next 10 callers. 
We'll do that with no obligation or cost. It's a full holistic review. We literally look at everything. There's no firm out there that will do this work up front. In fact, we will go as far as building you your own personalized financial portal, giving you a bird's eye view of your entire financial life and hone in on every financial issue you need to address today, whether it's an income plan for retirement or how you should draw from your portfolios when that paycheck stops or simply how to take your social security. You know, there's lots of ways to take it, but there's only one right way for you. Are you factoring in inflation? You know, your costs are going to double over the next 20 years. You need a dynamic income plan. We'll put that together for you, and we're going to look at diversification. Has your portfolio been like a yo-yo over the last two years? The markets have been all over the place. All this volatility. Have you been sitting in cash? Are you stuck with paralysis by analysis? We're going to put it all together in a full investment game plan tied to your goals. Show you how to grow your wealth, but most importantly, protect it over the rest of your life. And we're going to look at fees and taxes. You know, Wall Street loves to sell you high cost fee laden products, whether it's an annuity, a mutual fund, a brokerage product, a structured product. We'll do a deep dive of every investment. All you have to do is text or call and be one of our next uh, 10 callers and have saved over a million dollars for retirement. So text or call right now. That's 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC. This is Bob Payne, Chief Investment Strategist here at Payne Capital Management with this week's market update. This week on the Street of Dreams, the S&P 500 closed at an all-time high, surpassing the prior record set over two years ago in January of 2022. All three major averages are in positive territory for 2024 and confirms that the stock market is officially in a bull market that began back in October of 2022. And not just a bounce within a bear market, as many perma bears and pessimists have been touting. The S&P 500 is up more than 35% since that low back in October. Consumer sentiment posted the largest two-month gain since 1991, according to the University of Michigan, as inflation expectations have declined. While the labor market remains resilient with a better-than-expected addition of 216,000 jobs in December, and initial jobless claims hitting their lowest level since September of 2022. That keeps the unemployment rate steady at 3.7%. Now, this suggests a strong underpinning for consumer spending and, com- and corporate profits. And as Larry Kudlow reminds us frequently, that profits are the mother's milk of stocks, and for that matter, business and the entire economy. The one negative on the week was the bond market. As prices fell, and yields rose as the tight labor market has taken some of the steam out of the market's anticipation for rate cuts this year, where the market a week ago was nearly certain that the Fed would start cutting in March and keep going with six more quarter percentage point moves this year, and now thinks there's less than a 50% chance of a March cut and sees a greater likelihood of five reductions this year. Well, time will tell. The top S&P 500 gainers so far this year have been big tech companies. This week, two factors, the Bellwether Taiwan Semiconductor Healthy Revenue Growth Outlook and Bank of America's upgraded rating on Apple Apple stock drove the index's performance. So the stock market keeps scaling new heights 
as investors focus on the good and ignore the bad, no matter how bad the 24-hour news cycle makes the bad parts look. The news cycle is always intense, but mostly noise, and a lot of it has nothing to do with economics or your personal financial situation. So ignore the noise, stay invested, and be prepared for the inevitable volatility. And follow the investment advice of investment guru, Peter Lynch, who celebrated his 80th birthday this week. And he always said, know what you own and know why you own it. Hey, my son, Ryan, and I, we have 75 years of combined industry experience building low-cost, tax-efficient, goal-based portfolios. For your free evaluation of your portfolio, all you need to do is text or call right now. That's 844-752-6692. That's 844-752-6692. Or just simply call 844-PLAN-NYC. That's 844-PLAN-NYC.